Hello all, and welcome to the latest episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Nelly, and with me tonight is my guest, Josh Grant Young. Hi, how you doing? Hi, thank you for uh, coming on and doing this. I'm uh, really excited about it because uh, this is perhaps my favorite genre of all time, and uh, I'm kind of surprised that it's lasted as long as it has and uh, hasn't come up uh, in terms of uh, past shows before. We're going to be discussing our top 10 favorite zombie films. So this is going to be a, a pretty exciting one. Um, I'm really kind of glad. I'm really excited to uh, see where we stand on some of these, uh, just because I, I, I know that there's going to be a um, maybe not a ton of crossover, but I think we'll probably match up a little bit on some of these. But um, I, I mean, you know, this is uh, your your topic. You uh, were the one that brought this here. So uh, you know what brought us here. You know what. Uh, what do you have to say for uh, why we're here tonight and uh, talking about this? Right. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I was also kind of surprised that no one wanted to really jump on this topic because I think, you know, uh, it's never it's it's never green aspect of horror uh, zombies because it seems like just when, you know, people might say it's become like a tired uh, subgenre within a horror there's always somebody who comes out with something that's going to tweak it and make it new and interesting. I mean, everybody before um, I uh, came here tonight, everybody I know is asking me, oh, have you watched the new uh, The Last of Us uh, television show? You know, are you into that? Have you been watching that? And uh, they're all you know, excited that you know, this video game that they've been playing is getting this treatment on television and... Um, now, of course, I was like, well, I, I've been trying to work through it. I haven't had a lot of time to, but yeah, it's, it's great to be able to sort of talk about something that I also, you know, share a deep sort of connection with. Um, and yeah, I guess the reason why I was sort of interested in talking about this was I've been working on, um, a few different projects. So, uh, for, I guess your audience, um, I work at the uh, university in Canada, the University of Guelph, where I, in addition to doing my PhD, have for several years run a study group on uh, horror film and horror literature called Philosophy in the Dark, where I sort of get together with several people throughout the years, and we've presented different, you know, uh, horror films or horror books or, you know, music related to horror. And we sort of unpack some of the philosophical implications of it. Um, you know, usually it's, you know, very much accessible. Um, you know, we're not terribly interested in really highfalutin discussions of philosophy. We're just kind of interested in what's the neat sort of thing that comes out of these discussions. And on one hand, I'm working on a upcoming talk that I'm going to give at the University of Guelph based on a, a zombie movie of sorts, which we can certainly talk about when I get to my list. And I'm also in the process of writing a book chapter for a forthcoming uh, edited volume that'll be discussing, I guess, the legacy of zombies in film. And, you know, more writ large, my chapter is going to be looking at uh, zombie walks in particular, and the sort of political 
um, role that the zombie genre has played in horror, which you know is always in many ways political, but I guess the distinctly um, anti-capitalist aspect of talking about zombies. That's sort of why I decided, you know, it would be interesting to get in touch with you and talk a little bit about this stuff. Nice, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm sort stranger to you know all of the political allegories which uh, you know befell the genre um we're more than likely going to bring that up uh, over the course of the film but uh for me i i'm also kind of just you know the the down and dirty meat and potatoes kind of a guy um when it comes to a lot of the genre fare i mean don't get me wrong um, my list is littered with stuff that does have you know a, a stronger historical stance or a, you know it it has more to say to it but then um at the end of the day sometimes i i just enjoy seeing a, zombie films as a special effects technician demo reel um you yeah. know I, I mean you know at the end of the day you know just show me what your special effects technician can do you know and i mean you know these are kind of like you know great uh, you know entry points for some of that kind of stuff and i mean you know I, i've got a few on my list that are kind of like that but it, yeah I, i'm also um I, I also really have a lot of, of love when it tries to do something different and it tries to do something out of the box and uh you know not necessarily i i i, I utterly disdain using the word elevated horror but uh, you know in that same sense of ha having something else to say mm -hmm. and i i think when you mesh the two together it, it creates some kind of magic and um we're i'm probably you know we're gonna have some of that uh, over the course of the night but uh, i i think when it does both i think that's kind of where uh, the, the genre plays itself to its best capabilities so all right, so uh, I guess with that, um, you know, we, nothing else. Let's uh, dive in. And uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll go first. Um, so speaking of, you know, zombie films having, uh, you know, something to say, and uh, one of the major bright points of that is uh, is, a re is a recent one, and uh, one that kind of, I, I've always tried hyping this one up, is always uh, something to watch and to enjoy. And that is 2020's Blood Quantum. Mm -hmm. So, uh, real quickly, Blood Quantum is a uh, group of indigenous people in uh, the outer reaches of Canada who have uh, developed a sort of immunity to this uh, burgeoning zombie plague that's sort of overtaken the area and has, you know, savaged the community and left everybody as sort of like this, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic play kind of a scenario where, you know, it's every, you know, like Walking Dead kind of a, you know, everybody's out for themselves and, you know, nothing works. Everything's kind of, you know, running on its last legs. But this uh, tribe has managed to uh, stay safe within themselves by, you know, boarding themselves up within their community and becoming this sort of, not necessarily savior, but, you know, just this kind of we're going to be the ones that are going to overtake this because we're the ones that can't be turned like they're in, they've developed a sort of immunity to what's going on. And what happens when, you know, a group of uh, survivors comes into their uh, comes into contact with them and brings the zombies with them and things go from there. So, yeah, um, I 
I absolutely love this. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with this one long before I discovered a lot of uh, its Canadian-centric roots, which, um, I mean, I, I'm guessing from your reaction, you would know far more than I would. But, um, yeah, I, I I first discovered um, this uh, a lot of uh, the, the um, sociopolitical connections to this one uh, from a podcast I did uh, a couple of years ago when the first film first came out. And one of the um, the guests on the show was uh, a fellow Canadian who knew a lot of um, what was happening in there and was able to not necessarily fill in the gaps, but sort of make those connections and make it feel um, even more pertinent than what it was. And I was already in love with the film long before I found out that it was in any way or in any way a commentary on, you know, the the nature of humanity and the you know, the different connections you know the, the different interactions that had gone on before that so knowing that that was what was going on just made everything feel that much bigger and that much better and yeah yeah i i've been hyping this film up for a lot i i've brought it up on numerous lists in the past actually um as well so um it's not going to be a uh you know an out-of-the-box uh, uh to bring this up it's going to be kind of commonplace now because i've Brought it up on several pertinent lists and several uh, shows. So uh, number ten for me is Blood Quantum. Yeah, I it's certainly on my list too. I think it's a it's a fantastic film in a lot of respects. Um, it's a lot of, I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, fun in a lot of ways. And it's you're right. There's a really distinct political message behind the film. I mean, we can certainly talk a little bit about that as we get through the list, but yeah, Absolutely. No, it's fantastic. So I, I'm mm-hmm. with you on that one. All right. Yeah. You're number 10. My number 10. So I start off on the, you know, we talked a little bit about, it's fun to have a little bit of a, uh, you know, little less elevated, uh, you know, we both don't really like that word, but you know, a more fun <laughs> approach. So I, I chose for my number 10 um, the movie uh, 2019's The Dead Don't Die. So <laughs> it's a deeply silly and weird movie. Um, basically, uh, you know, a, uh, <laughs> a weird romp through uh, a backwater American town where... Uh, there's a zombie outbreak and it might be tied to elements of technology, but then there's also potential extraterrestrial involvement and it's all, it's, it's a mess. Let's, let's just kindly call it a mess narratively speaking. But um, I chose it because, you know, I thought this was a movie that I went to see with a good friend of mine and a fellow colleague who works on film as well in my department. And I remember people in the audience when I left being deeply annoyed with it. And I remember reading reviews later on where people were like, I think this is like one of the worst movies that uh, I've seen in a while. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when people say that it makes me enjoy a movie a lot more just because, you know, when it comes to just, absolutely strange films you know there's a lot of stilted dialogue between you know like bill murray and uh you know the other characters uh uh 
there's uh, Tom Waits's character is really strange. The sort of like bush guy who's just knows probably more than everybody else what's going on, but just doesn't really. It's it's a weird movie. That's that's all I can really say. So I didn't really come in at the end uh, for number ten with a whole lot to say except. The Dead Don't Die is probably one of the weirdest zombie movies you'll see. Um, don't expect it to make any sense, but it's it's a whole lot of fun. And the social commentary is probably a little bit silly, but that's okay, because, I mean, who doesn't like a zombie Iggy Pop moaning about coffee or Tom Waits uh, you know, eating... Uh, eating uh, forest creatures and mumbling to himself at least several times during the film. So that's my number 10. Yeah, this is one that's still on my list. Um, I, I I was actually supposed to go see it with a friend of mine, but uh, he got sick at the last second and we couldn't go. Yeah. And ever since then, it's just been one of those where I, I just I haven't been able to catch it. So, yeah, the, the I... I, I know some of the stuff about it. And I know a lot of, um, you know, some of uh, a lot of what you're saying about it being so weird and offbeat and stuff like that. But yeah, it's one that I I, I still haven't seen, but uh, it's I, I've been dying to catch it just because it sounds so weird and interesting. So it's quirky. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we'll move on to uh, number nine. Uh, this is. Maybe a little odd that I, I have this one a little bit higher than uh, Blood Quantum, just because it's not necessarily the kind of film that it, 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 you know, if you look at it in this sense, you know, maybe I like it better, or maybe it's, you know, one that it, I, I don't think it really, you know, w- w- whatever the, the case may be. But um, it's one that's just always uh, been an appeal, uh, interesting for me, and one that I've always kind of enjoyed. I went with 1966's Plague of the Zombies. So this is a Hammer film, uh, you know, just a few years before, um, you know, Romero just reinvented the genre and, uh, you know, turned it on its head literally overnight. So uh, basically, real quickly, a um, private investigator is uh, dispatched to this this, uh, quaint town in the middle of the countryside where a series of strange medical reports have uh, taken uh, a rise. And he kind of uh, blends into the community as uh, this local farmer who's trying to adapt to uh, the, the ways of the community. And soon discovers that a lot of the reports are based on uh, the the uh not he's not the mayor but he's kind of like this local you know kingpin uh it's kind of a weird thing because it's just it's one that it it doesn't really have like a applicable translation to like today's times because this is like a period piece it takes place in i think it's the early 18 it's i think it's like the early 1800s so it's kind of like a you know it's an old school throwback kind of a film but uh basically what happens is uh the way that he exerts control over the the town is that he uses a form of voodoo to use the dead of the town and reanimate them as zombie slaves to do his bidding and that's sort of where that takes place here and that it, it kind of takes over and you know he uses his powers for his own bidding and then it becomes well how do we you know stop him when he's got all of these minions to 
or you know to carry out his uh you know dastardly plans and it's so much fun um it you know especially if you like gothic horror which i'm a huge gothic horror fan um i i love hammer and i love a lot of all of their still kind of you know what they were doing at this period um yeah yeah, this is a one, you know, one of the under the radar films, but it's just so much fun. Just be, don't go into this expecting the, you know, flesh ripping Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead kind of a zombie. This is the old school Haitian zombie stuff where it's more about I'm using otherworldly influences and forces to make you do your bidding against your will and there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to overcome it. It's just, how are we going to stop the one that's doing this? And that's kind of where my my interest in this one comes from. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I love this movie. Um, it, it, like I said, it's one of my favorite hammers. I'm a huge gothic horror fan. And yeah, yeah, it, it's just a blast. And, and you know, the atmosphere is amazing. The the sets look in, incredible. It, it's really well made and it's really well shot and it has a lot of uh, really interesting visuals and concepts and like i said this is still you know just before we get the the flesh-eating ghouls kind of a zombie so it's still pretty memorable and still has a lot to like about it so uh yeah go ahead and uh, you know if you haven't seen it go ahead and give it a watch but uh, number nine for me is plague of the zombies right yeah so i mean it's great that I think we're on similar wavelengths here because number nine for me is um, the 1943 film. I walked with a zombie, Um, you know, sort of riffing off the, the Gothic um, influence. And then also the throwback to talking about the sort of um, Haitian roots of zombies. Um, Yeah. So I, I Walked with a Zombie is possibly one of the, the more interesting, you know, because this is also around the time, you know, movies like White Zombie are being made. And I, I think this is a really fascinating movie on one hand because it's basically taking uh, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and elements of Ms. Walker, uh, Wallace's I Walked with a Zombie and then moving it all the way over into the Caribbean. And it's a, it's a Val Luton-produced picture, and I always find Val Luton films kind of fascinating. Um, basically, and it's also funny that I'm currently in Ottawa, where it's going, where the film begins, um, where uh, Betsy, who's a nurse, is being interviewed to take care of the wife of a man named Paul Holland, who owns a sugar plantation, on this, you know, um, island in the Caribbean, St. Sebastian. And she hasn't really told much about the job and what it entails outside of she's to take care of his wife. And she's, you know, like many Canadians, kind of over winter. So she takes the job and um, comes to St. Sebastian, where she quickly learns that there's something a little bit off about Paul's relationship with his wife and what exactly her condition entails. Um, And she's also introduced to the uh, population on the island is uh, one who practices 
uh, voodoo. And I guess what's sort of interesting about this movie is I've read a few commentaries on it, and I'm still mulling over how I, I want to think about it, because I've, I've had a lot of good chats with people I know in the field who have been looking at the sort of uh, racial politics of zombie films early on in their depiction of voodoo. And I don't know what to make of this movie, which is why I like going back to watch it. Because some people who write about the movie will say, well, it's a very, in a lot of ways, sympathetic depiction of, uh, you know, I guess voodoo practice. And um, there's, you know, tie-ins to, I guess, um, you know, histories of racial violence and slavery and a lot of imagery related to um, you know, violence against African-Americans. Um, and I, I also read people who say, well, it's probably, you know, on one hand, you know, occasionally a sensitive commentary on these issues, but also um, maybe misses the mark a few times, which, you know, certainly for a 1940s film, I'm not expecting the social commentary be 100% fantastic, but it's still worth sort of thinking about, um, you know, I guess what the what the legacy of how we think about, you know, uh, the roots of the zombie genre and that sort of uh, deep ties to, I guess, um, you know, the horrors of slavery itself and the Caribbean and our sort of conception of what voodoo is, uh, particularly Haitian voodoo, um, you know, what this series of religious and cultural practices, um, how we've sort of thought about them and why they're such an enduring aspect in horror. So that's sort of why I thought I wanted to pick number nine. I think it's also, you know, a very striking film visually. There's a lot of scenes that are really powerful. But I don't want to give away too much if people want to check it out. I'll always endorse a Val Loop movie to watch. Yeah, it's an honorable mention for me. It didn't make my list, but I'm definitely on board with um, a lot of what you said. I, I I do think it's probably the best of uh, the pre-60s zombie films. Um, I mean, I know that there's really not a whole lot, but... Um, yeah, I I really like a lot of what it does. I I, I really enjoy um you know a lot of the um a lot of the overtones that it brings up where it's you know the black people being used as slaves versus you know how the white people are controlling them kind of a thing and and I mean you know you can spend hours going into you know all of that kind of stuff but yeah it, like you said it, there's a few areas where it, it kind of just becomes more of a melodrama than a zombie film so it, it kind of just got pushed off because of that mm-hmm. but uh, I, I i do agree i i do think it, it is really interesting i do really like a lot of where it goes um you know out, outside of a few places i i do really enjoy it so yeah um that's a that's a pretty good one so um move on to uh number eight and uh yeah this is another one of mine that um i have kind of not necessarily been championing but it's just one that i i've always really uh, gone back to and enjoyed 
And I, I, I know a lot of um, people are probably going to give me flack for this, but uh, I'm going to say that this is a remake that did justice to the original. And okay. I'm going with uh, the 1990 Night of the Living Dead. Um, okay. So, yeah, this is uh, out of the, the three big remakes of, uh, you know, the Romero trilogy. This is uh, my favorite of the three, um, even over Dawn, which I, I know that's kind of like I said, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the shocker part. But um, in terms of the, you know, out of the three, re- the three remakes um, for his films, this is my favorite of the three. And for me, one of the things I, I, I wholeheartedly enjoy about this one is it's purposely plays with your expectations of the original without mocking it and instead of setting up a familiar scenario winking at the camera and then doing something different this one sets up a familiar scenario but just does something different and it just keeps on going and instead of you know you're getting like you know slight winks of the camera or you're getting you know these sort of you know allusions to what the original should have been you're getting something where you've got the original in your mind but oh we're not doing that we're going to do something different and we're gonna you know still keep it in the same grounded reality we're still going to keep it in the same sort of setup but then we're not necessarily going to go where you think you're going we're not going to give you, you know, a weeping wallflower Barbara that's just, you know, completely in shock and she stays by herself the entire time. We're going to give you a Barbara that is motivated and fierce and a fighter and she's going to come out of this and she's going to be a stronger person. We're not going to give you a, you know, familiar setup where you expect the zombie to come out on top of it. We're going to give you a, we're going to give you a different scenario and we're going to change how everything plays out. And for me, that's one of the things I really appreciate about remakes is you acknowledge the original is there, mm-hmm. but you don't lean into everybody's aware of the original and you have, you know, you know, we as viewers are aware that there's the original, but the characters in the film aren't aware of there's there's an original, and they're they're doing their own thing. It's just we as audience members are familiar with it, and then how everybody goes about it differently is where the film the film kind of takes takes on its own legacy, and it, you know it, it has its own sense of fun, and that's where I I really appreciate this one. You get the original where. You know, you get Barbara and, you know, Ben's encounter, you know, Barbara and Johnny, sorry, um, you know, you get their original encounter in the graveyard. It mm-hmm. turns out that it's not a zombie. It's just a guy who's grieving over his wife and he's just in shambles because he's just had to bury his wife. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the guy walks out of frame, bam, there's the zombie. Or, you know, you get the, you know, the encounter with, uh, you know, Cooper down in the basement where he have he had the right idea the entire time he survived but then oh whoops bang you're gonna shoot him just dead and say yeah there's another one for the fire and you're gonna move that line from instead of it being you know about ben's corpse you're gonna make it about cooper and you know it, it, it's really really interesting and I, I really like a lot of where it goes Savini was way, way, way too good to have only had this be his, uh, you know, only feature film. Uh, you know, it looks great. The effects are amazing. 
the updated zombies and gore look fantastic. There's, you know, a lot of action that kind of keeps a lot of the same beats and tones of the original. And I, I absolutely enjoy it. I, I think it's criminally undervalued. I absolutely have a fun time with this one. I don't think it's better than the original, which is uh, why it's kind of low on my list. But I, I think it's the underrated one out of the uh, the trilogy of remakes. And uh, number eight for me is the the uh, Night of the Living Dead remake. Yeah, you know, I was the minute you you talked a little bit about you know practical effects and special effects, I was like, I wonder if you're going to mention this one because I was like, well, you know, if, if this is the kind of thing you're into, then you got to at least pay some service to Savini. So I was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to be like entertain, um, you know, uh, remakes if they're done really well. And I think that's a good choice, um, for this particular one. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that one at all. Um, I think it's a pretty solid remake. Um, my number eight, uh, so this is this is a nostalgia pick for me in a lot of ways. Um, so I picked 1985's Return of the Living Dead, um, which, again, is a really ridiculous zombie movie that I think the first time I watched, I used to be in a, a punk band, and I had a friend who was the drummer for the band, and he was really into horror movies as well. And he's like, well, you know, we like the same kind of music. We both love horror movies. Here's the kind of movie we should watch. So we watched Return of the Living Dead. Because, you know, on one hand, it's, it's a source of nostalgia because it's got a great soundtrack. Um, I also think it's just a really um, just ridiculous movie in a lot of ways. Uh, as far as, like, sort of, punk comedies go like when you think about um other movies that are i think class of 1984 is not terribly far off of this one in terms of time period and yeah it's just like a weird sort of period where people are making these movies that are on one hand just like brutally violent but also have these like incredibly stupid punk characters involved in them um and it's it really leans into that whole like zombies just like only eat brains thing, um, which I guess you know when people usually think about you know zombies, um, you know a lot of people are just like oh brains, um, and and this is one of the sort of movies that pushes that narrative, um, and it's funny because it's it's probably not the strongest in terms of social commentary, but there, there still is some because um, when you sort of watch the movie, um, there's this medical supply uh, warehouse where um, this guy is sort of showing off this toxic gas called trioxin. Um, and when he unleashes this gas, it basically ends up causing a, you know, outbreak of zombies. Um, and, you know, there happens to be a group of punks not too far away who happen to wander into the warehouse and get stuck in the middle of this zombie massacre. Um, and it's interesting that the 
uh, trioxin chemical that they talk about, 2,4,5-trioxin, I think is the name, that's developed by, you know, the military, or no, by a company for the military, was actually referencing, like, Dow Chemicals' involvement in the manufacturing of Agent, Agent Orange, which was, I believe, 2,4,5-T-dioxin. Which, um, you know, obviously we know the military in the United States and in Canada used it for um, different purposes, uh, obviously, in some cases during the Vietnam War. Um, I think the, the idea in the movie was that this chemical wasn't being used for, like, that nefarious a purpose. I think it was basically to be sprayed on weed, um, which is a, you know, I guess in the context of the 80s, kind of an amusing idea. But, yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird movie. It's a lot of fun. There's some strange, um, you know, zombies. Um, one of them, I think, is affectionately named Tar Baby at one point um, by one of the people, one of the punks. And it, it's just a very... You know, if you're looking for a not very serious zombie movie, um, it's definitely a fairly fun one, um, which, uh, you know, has its has its moments of pretty good uh, gore, too. So that would be my number eight. My number seven, Return of the Living Dead. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, um, uh, exactly like you said. It's a, you know, it's just a fun, over-the-top, splatter-filled comedy. And, I, I mean, that's one of my favorite types. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the idea that you're taking the original Night of the Living Dead formula and you're adding a comedic spin to it with a bunch of punk, you know, like you're adding a punk rock comedy aesthetic. And it, it kind of works. It, it has a, you know, really, 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 really weird tone for um the, this the kind of genre but it's just it still feels so intrinsically 80s that it's just so hard not to love and fall into uh you know you're you're invested like 10 minutes in uh the the, the punks are great the comedy is there the gore is fantastic um i i have a lot of fun with it so yeah um i i don't have much else to add number seven for me is return of the living dead <laughs> Well, and who doesn't love a, a weird ass big eyeballed zombie just going burns every once <laughs> once in a while? Like, that's, that's great. That's comedy gold. Yeah. Uh, number seven for me. Um, so another nostalgia pick. This is the first movie that I watched that has zombies in it. So it might not be for a lot of people like a zombie movie, but um, Plan Nine from Outer Space, nineteen fifty-seven. So this is probably one of the first horror movies I have a formative memory of watching as a child. And that's only because I would, um, a couple days later, make a uh, construction paper like book. I was like, I don't know, probably like five years old or something, maybe six. And uh, I had a nightmare about the movie, and I ended up writing a book about it. That was five pages long. My parents still have it. And at their house um and I, this movie made like a huge impression on me as a kid because it was just so weird in a lot of ways but it really caught my attention so i mean 
I don't know how many people at this point in human history have not heard of Plan 9 from outer space, but I guess it's it's worth sort of um, maybe unpacking a little bit. So it's a, it's a horror film that's written, directed, and edited by Ed Wood um, for a full, uh, weird, uh, detailed biography. Watch the movie that they made about his life. Um, it's a pretty good time. But suffice to say, it's a movie that was um, basically sets up... There's aliens who are trying to stop humanity from basically concocting this uh, weapon that could basically destroy the universe. And the aliens have... You know, I imagine a series of plans, of which one of them is Plan 9, which is the, the incredibly sensible scheme where they're going to uh, bring back the Earth's dead and basically force humankind to stop doing what they're doing and just listen to the aliens, or you know, the aliens will wipe out the humans with armies of the undead. It's regularly been called the worst movie ever made um probably not without good reason because the uh, special effects are nothing short of awful um the acting is pretty subpar uh which there's probably a few good reasons why that's the case i want to be somewhat generous you know tor johnson is maybe not the best actor in the world, but God, does he try. Um, you know, it's one of the, I guess, uh, less, uh, you know, less talked about uh, Bella Lugosi um, films in terms of his acting because it's a relatively short role that he has near the end of his life. Um, yeah, it's it's a cool sort of mashup of a bunch of different weird things. Aliens, zombies, um, psychics, because you have, you know, a popular psychic of the day, Criswell, who's doing the narration of the film. There's, like, weird fantastical elements. Um, it's, it is a very strange movie. And it was also basically funded, I believe, in part by um, a... Christian religious group, which was also, I think, um, I think it was the Baptists. Yeah, I think it was Baptists who funded the film. Yeah, it's it's a very weird movie. And it's the last Bella Lugosi film, so I mean that's that's something worth talking about. And oh yeah, it was originally I believe called Grave Robbers from Outer Space, which is a great title for a movie. Yeah, it's a film. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I don't have the fondness, but I, I'm also one of those. I, I don't see a lot of the hate for it. Um, a lot of it, I, I think, is kind of... It, some of it's justified, but I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, you're, you're harping too much on circumstances outside of his control just because of what happened with Bella and his health and all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of that kind of, uh, you know, 
it, it, you know, it, it's kind of like the crow where, you know, you had Brandon died during the filming of it and you kind of had to cheat and use tricks to kind of, you know, finish the film. But I, I, I don't see that as being necessarily too hard as being like, you know, justifiable um, flaws to level against it. It's got plenty on its own beyond that. Trust me. But <laughs> yeah, using, you know, some of it, I th- like I said, some of it is, I think, justified. Some of it isn't. Um, I, I don't see a lot of. I, I, I don't see it as the worst movie ever made. Um, top 30, maybe. But, it, you know, like top 10 or top 5 or whatever they keep calling it. Not really. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I mean, I, I don't have the same, uh, you know, connection to it that you do. But, uh, yeah. Nah, well, I uh, guess we'll move on to uh, number 6. And uh, this is another one that I I absolutely love, and uh, it, you know it kind of ties into um, what I was just saying with uh, Return of the Living Dead. It's uh, you know just over the top uh, fun, and uh, you know just tons of gore, lots of laughs. Um, I went with 2004's Shaun of the Dead. Mm. And yeah, uh, I, I have so much fun with this one. Um, I, I mean, it's pretty, uh, you know, it, it's not like the others where it's, you know, kind of obscure. You know, it's a pretty major title, so no need to uh, really dive deep into this one. But yeah, it, it is just an absolute treasure trove of just fun. Um, I, I absolutely love it. I have, uh, you know, the lines are just so quotable. The situations are just so comedic and hilarious the love that it has for the genre is impeccable. It, it doesn't treat it zombies like jokes. It just forms jokes around zombies, which I really like. The, you know, the, the, it's fast paced. It's fun. And, you know, it gets serious when it needs to, and it pulls it off. Well, I, I, I just enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it still holds up. It's still really likable and watchable. And yeah, I I don't know what else to say to it, but uh, yeah, number six for me is uh, Shaun of the Dead. It's it's definitely a honorable mention for me because that's you're right. I mean it's it's serious in the right places, and um, it's also a lot of fun too. And I don't know, I'm a, I'm a real sucker for uh, the ending of the film and how things work out for the the buddies in that uh in that context <laughs> nice way to cap things off which I, i'm okay with. um so this one i i kind of had to rack my brain because um i wanted to think a little bit about after you know um i was thinking about you know what kind of things are what kind of movies are doing things a little bit differently i guess and I had remembered that I had a friend who, you know, got me interested in uh, Nollywood or Nigerian movies. And one of the ones that uh, he had recommended when it came out uh, was a movie called Ojuju uh, in 2014. And I had the hardest time tracking down a copy. I think I actually, because I couldn't, I don't think it was streaming at that point. So I had to get like a copy from somebody and it was a really bad copy. So I've been hoping to find a better one so I can watch it again. But it, it won a 2014 African International Film Festival Award. And what I think is notable about this movie is it basically had next to no budget. And 
that's often you know a real hurdle of a challenge to overcome in filmmaking in general and i can only imagine you know like we've talked about you know practical and special effects part of you know doing a really good zombie movie sometimes is you want to have a decent amount of you know stuff to play with as far as making your zombies you know either look scary at least or compelling and then also have you know the capacity to do some you know, gross, squishy, splattery stuff every once in a while is also a great treat. But I think Ojuju did a pretty great job uh, with the budget that it had. And it's an interesting concept, again, because it's taking... Because they originally, they don't refer to zombies in the film as zombies. They refer to them as Ojuju, which is, you know, neat in itself because it's taking a concept that isn't necessarily, like, um, you know, if you, I believe the director had said in one interview, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense to use zombie, um, but rather like using Ojuju makes sense within that cultural context. And it's, it's a really neat sort of, uh, discussion of environmental problems, um, because the community's, um, sole water source uh, is basically tainted and it's the source of the outbreak in the film. And, you know, a lot of it is just really interesting world building because you get a lot of opportunity to sort of get to know the characters at different junctures. And it's, you know, it's maybe not the you know, most flashy movie, but it's still kind of aesthetically, it, I think the roughness of like the quality of uh, film uh, they're using, um, the quality of the image that they're using in the film um, is really, I, the grittiness is nice. And I think it's it's really well paced and it's, it's a different way of approaching it. And I think it does a pretty good job for having next to no budget. And yeah, if if you can find a copy, give it a shot. You know that's, I guess, my sort of plug for it. It's it's definitely not a movie that's going to have you know unless you're someone who watches uh, Nigerian cinema, you're probably not going to recognize any of the people in the film. But it's it's a pretty great movie, I think. Yeah, I've never heard of this. Um... I mean, African cinema is really not um, a pretty familiar place for me. Um, outside of, I, I think, just general South Africa, um, like English language South African films, um, I, I know next to nothing about uh, the, the continent as a whole. So, yeah, that that I I mean I know, I know films that are you know other productions that I've shot there, um, but yeah, like local african cinema i know next to nothing so yeah i'm gonna have to check this one out because it sounds interesting i mean i'm always down to learn new stuff and uh, i'm i'm fine with next to no budget so uh, that, that doesn't um phase me much so yeah i'm gonna have to check this out because it sounds interesting yeah give it a shot cool all right so uh we'll move on to uh number five and th this is easily one of my all-time favorite movies um what i was saying earlier about 
just enjoying, uh, you know, special effects and, uh, you know, just being like a demo reel for, uh, you know, your effects artist. I, I think there's really um, very few other films out there that can uh, match that kind of uh, quality with uh, my number five, uh, 1993's Dead Alive. Okay. And yeah, um, I, I, I mean, just unrelenting, over the top, hysterical splatter gore. Um, to me, that's my sweet spot. That is one of my just. You you fill that kind of a box for me, and I'm I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, I, I mean, just any any zombie attack in here is just over the top and unrelenting. But it's played with such a tongue-in-cheek atmosphere that it's not revolting. And despite the fact that it's, you know, still, I think, the goriest film of all time, uh, at least in terms of um, prosthetic blood used, I I think it still holds the record. I I know that there's a few that have actually had more um, gags or um, used, like, more intensive prosthetics than this one. So I I can't say that it is, but... In terms of on-screen bloodletting, I, I still think, or I, I've heard that this one is still the number one. So, um, yeah, it, it it's not at all played as like just a you know gross out over the top you know just oh my god stomach turning kind of a thing. This is you know slap your buddies on the side and you know shout out and go yeah and just you know have like a party with it and. That's more my style um, when it comes to these kinds of films. So yeah, that that was always going to appeal to me. But the fact that even beyond this, there's still just a ton of fun to be had with this. Uh, you have a great central character relationship between the romance that develops between them. You have uh, baby or baby Lewin, which is uh, to this day I've never laughed harder at a at a sequence in my life than the um, park. Um, the, the the first time I saw that one, I almost literally, I, I literally thought I was about to ex- cough up my lung. Yeah. Um, it just, God, the the sheer audacity to pull that off, and then just the the fact that they do that, they go through the whole sequence and they do what they do, and then they pull it off with the gag at the end where he looks at the mother's said it and he says, "Rough day." And then just walks off, and uh, it, I, I, I almost literally, I almost collapsed from having to laugh at that. That was just hysterical. But just, I, I mean, there's no end to the gags in this one. Um, you know, the the cemetery resurrection, the basement, you know, reanimation sequences, the, you know, the dinner party, the tea that they have, the, you know lawnmower sequence uh the the final confrontation on the roof of the house uh there there's just no end to this one and it it's just it's just fun and uh yeah it it's it, like i said it's one of my all-time favorite films um i i i really wanted this one higher but i i i kind of think that the other films i have above it are more important um they 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 say more and they do more so i i rank them in terms of like the last of my i i I think this is where fun with it it's just it's a fun zombie movie 
hear about are the ones that I think do and say more, and they have like more to say and more to do um, in terms of, like we said, with the political, um, you know, political commentary or social commentary or whatever you want to go with it. But if you just want, you know, like I said, leave your brain at the door, grab some buddies, have some fun, and just, you know, laugh yourself hysterical. This is absolutely the one for you. So, number five for me is Dead Alive. Yeah, I, it's a solid choice. I, I don't think I have anything that I would be able to add onto that. I think you pretty much capture exactly the kind of film it is. Um, my number five. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug more Canadian content because why not? Um, so my number five is uh, again maybe not exactly what people would consider a zombie movie, but uh, I picked Rabid, the 1977 David Cronenberg movie, um, where uh, a young woman who is played by the uh, pornographic actress Marilyn Chambers. Um, basically she gets into a vehicular accident. I think there's a motorcycle involved. Um, and she has to, you know, uh, have surgery. And in the process, she develops this, um, strange, uh, sexual appendage. I mean, Depending on who you talk to, some people think it's more phallic, and some people think it's more clitoral. But um, it's it's this sexual appendage that basically um, sits in her armpit, and it basically um, feeds on uh, men in particular who are, you know, usually scumbags in the movie for the most part, um, and infects them by feeding on their blood, and it causes them to go into this sort of uh, violent, you know, rage, fugue state, and um, they become sort of, you know, pale, zombie-like monsters, more or less, that um, when they get infected... um, and it it's it just basically explodes into full blown martial law in the middle of Quebec. Um, so I think it's an interesting film because again, it's sort of doing something a little bit different in terms of you know how do we get the zombies um, and what the zombies are sort of entailing. I think it's also an interesting film because you know there's been a few critics who have written about the film who talk about, um, you know, the film referencing in some way societal stigma at that point, and certainly still in some ways today, around sex work and, um, you know, the idea that uh, it places, you know, less emphasis on, because, I mean, certainly, you know, there's plenty of stigma around the idea that, you know, sex workers are, you know, people who carry diseases and they're, you know, a problem. Um this sort of flips the script and it's, it's more interested in the world. No, like the real scary aspect is like the violent, you know, predatory men who are in this film and the rage that they have that sort of results in a very unhinged Quebec. So, I mean, for that reason, I find it sort of an interesting, uh, film for a lot of, uh, yeah, the reasons I've given, 
and it's a Dave Cronenberg movie. I'm a fairly big Cronenberg fan. I always find the stuff that he makes fascinating for different reasons. Um, it's probably, I think, better than, say, Shivers in that similar time period. So, yeah, that's that's my number five. Nice. I've never really thought of Rabbit as a zombie film. It's always been more body horror just because mm-hmm. it's more based on, you know, she's more of a central figure in the film and like the, the victims that she leaves behind is like a, a side effect. Right. But that, that's a pretty interesting take on it. I, I, I'd love to rewatch it with that kind of a mindset just because, I mean, for me, I like I've always just kind of like tunnel visioned it as body horror. Mm-hmm. So yeah, looking at it as kind of a, as an, a, a zombie film that, that, that would be an interesting way to look at it. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about it now. Yeah, um, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way either, but I had a friend um, talking about it with me because we were talking about a couple of Dave Cronenberg movies, and you know, she was sort of suggesting this this kind of reading was something that she had come across, and I'd never really thought about it either because, you know, like you said, I, I sort of had the same... You know, I was focused on the body horror aspect and... Right, just, you know, she's, like, such a much more prominent part of the story, and you don't even really get them until the third act, so. And the whole, like, public, you know, uh, basically uh, the public riot Quebec thing was just, like, a afterthought when I first watched the movie, and then I was like, yeah, this is actually, like, clearly some sort of contagion thing is going on here, so it has, like, zombie elements going on. Cool. Yeah, like I said, I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to revisit it with that mindset. That's pretty pretty interesting. So uh, we'll move on to uh, number four. And like I said, these are these uh, top four are really kind of ones that I think do more with the genre, and they do a they they have more to do with uh, you know elevating the genre beyond just you know the the blood, the gore, and all the the effects that I I kind of mentioned before. And uh, my number four is Train to Busan. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I love about this one is I absolutely love the way that this portrays the, the, the violence, not as just, you know, we're out here, we're savages, we're here to kill. It's more how the body reacts to outside contagions and then how the passengers react to those with those that have become infected and the way that you know you 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 encapsulate all these people in the train and you you know you make it so that way they can't get off and then okay crap now we're we're forced to deal with this contagion and the more it you know the more we encounter it the more it spreads and how do we deal with keeping people separated that are safe versus if you've been contaminated what do we do with you now? Mm-hmm. And regardless of our personal feelings for you, we have to think of the safety of others. And I think that's a really interesting way that we that it deals with it because, yeah, it's essentially the you know a father daughter relationship story and how that kind of deals with it. But then you have all the other passengers who they they have the might they have you know like herd mentality. We've got to keep ourselves safe. We can't deal with your personal connection to people we have to deal with the safety of us and focusing on how we keep 
us, you know, us as a plural. How do we keep us safe from from being contaminated and turning into one of these creatures mm-hmm. and using the violence as okay yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna show you what we're capable of now what's gonna happen if we become that and i i absolutely love the way that this plays with it and it you know it you know yeah you still have a lot of you know the traditional zombies swarm sequences i mean the the, the uh, that that train sequence is the, the the train station where they you know they stumble across the abandoned platform and you know you see them swarming up the stairs. I mean that is just a work of art. But a lot of where I I, I come with this one is the way that it handles the group and keeping you know the group safe versus individual you know connections. And it's 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 an interesting tale that I I don't see a lot mesh with action the way that this one does. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ones that I see that do this are the the low budget just you know we're here to capitalize on like Walking Dead, and it's just all about okay we're gonna you know keep the group safe, but it's always you know interpersonal battles and it's always. I, I need I'm the one that needs to take control. I know what's best for the group. No, I'm the I know what's best for the group. Follow me. And if you don't follow me, I'm going to use force to do it. And I'm going to become worse than the zombies by doing so. This yeah. is the one that it, it does something a little bit different. And it, you know, it, to this day, it's still one of the one of my favorite zombie films. And it, it does so much with the familiar tropes. But it has, again, more to say about it. And then, again, one of the most heartbreaking endings of all time. Great special effects. You know, it, it hits all the traditional boxes that you want. If you just want the Splatterfest, it's there. But the way that it handles the group think and the way that it handles how do we protect us versus how do we care for them, I I absolutely love what it does. And it, uh, I, I think it's one of the best examples in the genre doing that. So uh, number four for me is Train to Busan. Yeah, you know that that was Train to Busan's definitely an honorable mention for me. Um, I thought about putting it on the list and maybe taking out uh, Plan Nine for Matter Space. Um, but then I was like, you know, I I can always honorably mention it and you know leave my nostalgia picking. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I love the energy of that film. Um, it's it's a magnificent piece of work. I, again, I can't really build on what you've said because you've, you've hit basically all the all the key things that are important about that movie and why it's it's fantastic. Um, my number four is uh, the girl with all the gifts from 2014. So this was um, a movie that I had never really uh, picked up on until. I think about a year or two ago because someone had recommended the book to me and then they said oh by the way there's a movie and i was like okay well i'll I'll check out the book and then i'll watch the movie i guess and i was kind of intrigued because prior to uh researching horror i was in my master's degree um sort of interested in fungi and exploring film that uh, touched on fungi and they were like well you'll probably like this book 
And it basically the the nutshell of the plot is that not too far into the future, um, humans have basically been overtaken by a disease that's more or less comes from parasitic fungus. So certainly people who are getting excited about uh, The Last of Us might you know, find this already compelling. Um, and it's transmitted, I think, primarily through people's fluids. And people turn, for the most part, into, and I guess it's kind of like 20 uh, days later, sort of, you know, really fast, angry zombies that they call hungries, which I think is my favorite part of the whole thing, is the fact that they call zombies hungries. Just a great name for a zombie. Um, and their humanity's sort of last-ditch effort to try to find a cure is researching a group of kids who uh, they call them, I think, neonates. And the idea is that these kids do have, like, they're second-generation zombies, I think, in a certain sense, because they, they you know, they're, they have a craving for eating human flesh. But unlike the hungries who are, you know, sort of characterized as these brainless aggro zombies, um, you know, the, the kids are still capable of, you know, rational thought. They, they think, they talk, they can, you know, learn and maybe be motivated to do good things. And the kids, you know, obviously because we think they're the cure, um, are imprisoned <laughs> by soldiers. And the idea is that they're basically going to find a way to uh, harvest these kids to um, figure out how to save humankind. And it follows you know, a particular group of uh, people basically escorting these kids and uh, one of them being um, Melon is your name? Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting movie. Um, I think probably um, fairly tense at times, and it's somewhat fresh. I like the fact that it, it, it leans a little bit more into the, the science fiction at times than like explicit horror. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely great for that. And yeah, I, I would say that's probably my, um, number four. And I guess because it's also, um, you know, an interesting piece of, you know, really good science fiction book turning into zombie horror film. Nice. Yeah, um, I really like it as well. Not list-worthy, but uh, yeah, I, I still think really highly of it. I, I really like a lot of what it does. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I saw it long before I heard of uh, The Last of Us, so I, I don't know a lot of uh, that kind of a connection to it. I, I just, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, um, I, I'm not as high on it as you, obviously, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I still really like it. It's still really enjoyable and worthwhile. Um, I mean, maybe if we did like a top 50, it would be on there. I mean, that's kind of like where I would be with it. But 
for like a top 10, yeah, it, it's not really there, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still really high on it. So uh, number three for me, uh, this is, um, I, I, I do have to go a little on the, um, a little nostalgia here with this one. Uh, so this is uh, actually, I would say the uh, the second uh, zombie film I ever saw, and uh, we'll talk about my number one in just a second. But this is uh, the the second zombie film I ever saw, and it was the one that really, really um, it, it pushed me towards. Um, at, at the time, I wasn't really aware of a lot of the political connotations of it. I was just more interested in the splatter of it so it was always one that it kind of pushed me towards that uh, that that side of it before um over time i've revisited it and i've, I've gotten to know a lot of um, how great it is uh, outside of the gore and uh that is 1985's day of the dead mm. so yeah I, I saw this one uh pretty early on in my genre watching days um like i said my number one we'll talk about in a minute but I, I I fell in love with this one. Uh, just uh, again, you know, uh, Savini with his uh, effects are just absolutely spectacular. But like I said, I, I I've come to this one a lot more over the years um, in terms of its uh, political commentation and what happens here with, like I was saying earlier, you know, the with, with Busan and how it it develops into you know keeping us safe versus our connection to them what happens here is the protection of us extends to a military control and what happens in a military state when we let that control get too far and it goes unchecked and the way that this intervelops you know it 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 develops alongside the the relationships that we establish between science and understanding how we're able to cure for you know we're trying to develop a cure, but then we also need to state we we need to be aware of it because the military is just we're out here for blood. We're going to develop it as we see fit, and how that comes about is I I absolutely love the, the relationships that developed here, and that's almost as much fun for me as watching you know just. Savini and just absolutely go crazy on his uh I I I still say that this is his masterwork. Um yeah, like I said, it, it's one that I, I originally came to it for the gore, but I, I've stayed and I I've enjoyed it for what it has to say uh just as much uh in my later years. So um I I, I don't have much else to add to this one. I mean, you know, you yeah, this is one that's been talked to death. It's one that I, I personally don't have anything interesting else to add to it. But number three for me is uh, Romero's Day of the Dead. Yeah. Honorable mention for me. Love the film. Um, yeah, it's, it's a solid, solid piece of work. And um, yeah, I don't, don't know what else I can really say beyond what you put out there. It's, it's a great, it's a great Great job. Um, my number three, so you've already sort of introduced it, Blood Quantum. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I really like the fact that it's, again, sort of a novel uh, engagement with um, 
zombie uh, zombie genre because you know, as you've noted you know it's it's sort of already predicated on the idea that you know the zombie outbreak happens near the Red Crow Reservation in uh, Quebec and the indigenous community are immune to the spread of the contagion because of their heritage whereas you know the uh, settlers are not and they obviously have to arm themselves and secure the reservation from this threat and then reckon with what they have to do when, um, you know, settlers show up looking for shelter, which, you know, sort of when we were talking about um, Train to Busan, it's not the same situation. But certainly, you know, this it's interesting when you see movies sort of reckon with the, you know, finer points of how do you parse that, particularly in the context of this film, you know, when you think about the, the history, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, you know, when you think about the history of this particular uh, period in Canada, but in general in Canadian history and North American history, um, the loadedness of the relationship between you know, Indigenous people in North America and um, you know, settlers and their descendants, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to really parse, you know, easily how that would work. Um, and certainly, yeah, the film's a rich engagement in a lot of ways with this relationship because, you know, on one hand, you know, when you look at the title, certainly if, you know, some folks are listening aren't necessarily familiar, the concept of blood quantum, um, you know, in Canada and the United States, it's been used to determine, you know, one's indigeneity based off of the percentage of one's ancestry that's understood as indigenous. Um, so it's very sort of, it's tied to this biological um, sort of racial categorization uh, effort by American and Canadian governments. Um, it's also set in 1981, um, and it references in part the, the raid of a indigenous community, uh, Listagouche in, uh, you know, what's, you know, Quebec, um, by the Quebec police and gaming and fishing authorities who basically, you know, to sort of give a quick synopsis um showed up in Listagouche and uh engaged in police brutality arrested community members and this prompted the community to essentially barricade themselves and then the police came back and raided the place a second time um and it was discussed in a 1984 documentary. It's a fantastic documentary. I'd recommend anybody who's um, interested in learning more about Canadian uh, Indigenous history, uh, the relationship between our people. Um, it's by the uh, Abenaki filmmaker Alanise uh, uh It's an incident at Ristagouche. And it talks about these raids and their aftermath. And um, Jeff Barnaby, the director, um, asked basically everybody, all the actors for the film, to watch the documentary. 
as a sort of way to prep for filming the, the movie. And he, Barnaby, was, you know, had witnessed these raids firsthand as a kid. And you get a sense of the impact that it had in the film on him. And it's, you know, I, I would recommend the film, you know, not only because I think it's a sort of really great approach to doing the zombie genre. It's aesthetically very, you know, fresh and cool movie, but it's also got a lot of rich engagement with, um, you know, the history of Canadian indigenous relations and, um, some of the really troubling, uh, I guess, echoes of that, that we're still dealing with today. So that's my number three, Blood Coin from 2019. Nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, like you, I don't have much else to add to that. So, I mean, you know where I stand on it. So, um, yeah. All right. So, uh, number two uh, for me is, uh, like I said earlier, uh, this is uh, Ground Zero for me. This was uh, the first one I ever watched. And it was the one that uh, it it kickstarted my love just because it was uh, the first film I'd ever seen that was something other than a human being that was a killer. And when I first got into horror, um, everything I had seen, you know, were just, you know, the slasher films, uh, you know, your screams, your Chucky's, your leather faces, uh, Jason's, Michael's, Freddy's, all of that kind of stuff. That was really like my early instinct and my early introduction to horror was just human killers. And this was the first one that I saw that uh, did something else. And I, I I still I, I love this one uh, to this day. It still holds a special place near and dear to my heart, just because, like I said, it was number one and it kickstarted my love of the genre. 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Um, I, I I mean, where where do I start with this one? Um, I, I mean, you can say whatever you want about it. Um, there's far more intelligent uh, critiques and discussions on it than. Any, you know, anything I can do was just, you know, regurgitating what they said. Uh, Like I said, the only thing that I can really add for me was uh, just my intro spiel on it. And the the fact that it was the first one that I, the first horror film that I saw where it wasn't a human being that was the killer. And I, I mean, you know, yeah, they are here, but not necessarily killers in the, you know, the, the slasher film sense Like you know, this wasn't just, you know, a human being that was out to kill you. This was, you know, a human being that was there to eat you and, you know, killing you was just a byproduct, you know, they were there to do something else. And that was sort of like ground zero and where it all kind of started for me. So it, it's not necessarily one that I, I can, speak intelligently on because uh I, I like i said i would just be regurgitating far more intelligent people than me but uh for sentimentality for starting the genre for introducing me to the genre uh number two is night of the living dead yeah i guess uh, i'd be curious so what how old were you when you first watched that movie uh 96 798 um i would have been 14 going on 15 
Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Depending, yeah, depending on what year, because I, I don't remember the specific. I, I, I don't remember specifically when it was, but I, I remember 97, 98. So I would have been 14 going on 15 at the time, depending on, like I said, what month it was. Yeah. So I guess, like, what do you think really stood out for you, like, the first time you watched it? Was there, like, a specific scene or image that, like, sticks Yeah. The, the escape from the cemetery and, uh, you know, getting away from. Um, the, the chase back to the car and then, uh, you know, the car won't start. So he smashes it in and then uh, just, you know, you know, crashing the car, running to the farmhouse and, uh, you know, meeting, uh, meeting all that. For me, it was just the fact that, okay, you know, he killed him, but then he wasn't there to, you know, he, he, he attacked Johnny and then he came after her. Yeah. And, for me, it was just one where I, I, you know, one, it was just like a, it was like an immediate attack sequence. Like I thought, well, you know, she's going to get, you know, they're going to, he's going to catch up with her at the, you know, the farmhouse. And then this is going to be like the, the, the character that we follow for the rest of the film. And instead, you know, she gets away the rest of the film. Yeah. And it just, you know, it introduces Ben and it introduces, you know, the, you know, the, and it's like, wait, where's this going? Because like, I'm I'm trying to like pick, you know, I'm trying to like put it into like my the slasher mode, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, yeah, this is like the you know the the intro spiel, like you know, okay, so he's gonna attack Johnny, and then he goes after her, like you know, it's kind of like a weird thing to you know introduce the killer immediately, and you know, you, you know, you see him, you see him at the very beginning, like I, it's like, okay, why? And then it's like, oh, living dead, you know, maybe that's maybe that's got something to do with it. And then I'm I'm trying to like, okay, well, like, where does this like tie in? And then it's like, okay, well, you know, he's gonna attack and kill her here in the farmhouse, and then we're gonna, you know, it's gonna be about, you know, everybody that he kills is gonna be resurrected. Like that was kind of like living dead. Like that was kind of like my thing was that, okay, you know, everybody that he attacks is going to, you know, become the living dead and they're going to, you know, attack and kill. And it becomes like, okay, how we stop all these people from, you know, once we kill them, do, you know, like what happens next? Like that was kind of like where my mindset was when I was watching it. And then it just, it kind of just disappears and it's not, it doesn't really become a slasher film. It becomes, you know, Barbara and Ben and their interactions. And then, you know, you introduce the Coopers and then it's like, but yeah, this doesn't really feel like a slasher film. It, it it feels like something else. It feels like something different, and that kind of kept me into it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where does this go next? Where does it? What's it gonna do now? And you know, the, the more that the more that show up, and you see how Ben interacts with them, and you see how he, you know, relates the story about his encounter and what happens there. And you know, as, as it goes along, it's doing something differently, even though it, it still kind of has, you know, like. Yeah, okay, maybe it's just like, you know, maybe it's just like an early entry where, you know, I mean, I I wasn't really aware of like, you know, dates and like figuring out like slasher history and stuff. Yeah. But I I, I was like I kind of aware of like I, I was aware of like, you know, different films like influencing others. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't more of like, okay, well, this is kind of where everything got started. It was just more like yeah, 68, you know, I, 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 like, that was, like, definitely the earliest I'd seen. Like, that was, like, the oldest one I, I, I know I'd seen for a fact. Mm-hmm. 
I, I had seen Halloween. I had seen um, Texas Chainsaw. I had seen Jaws. Well, maybe I hadn't seen Jaws by then. Maybe I. Maybe I. Uh, I. I would have to think about that because Jaws would definitely be like another early, you know. Herb. Uh, Jaws is an interesting one. I'll I'll table that one for another site because Jaws is an interesting one on its own. Yeah. But I mean, I like I said, I I had seen Halloween. I did. I had seen um, Texas Chainsaw. So those would be like seventies. And then, you know, Scream was contemporary. I'd seen that one when it came out. Um, I'd seen a couple of the Child's Play films. So those would be like late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I hadn't seen all of the Freddy. I hadn't seen all of Halloween or um, all of uh, Friday the 13th, but I'd seen a couple of them. So again, 80s, 90s. So like I, I knew that there was kind of you know like I'm I'm just trying to like fill in the pieces and just try to like you know sort everything out, but that I I, I do know that you know Halloween was older and I do know that you know the original Texas Chainsaw was older than them, and, and Night of was like the like I said that one was the earliest one so it was always like I'm still trying to like put it in with like the, these these human killers things. And figure out, okay, well, you know, if they get in, they're going to kill them. And then, you know, they're going to turn them into what goes on. You know, they're they're going to turn them into, you know, others like them. So that was kind of like where my mindset was. It was like, okay, how is this going to be like the slasher films I've seen? And then because it's going off on all these other tangents, it's kind of like, wow, this is shocking. And it's kind of keeping me in because following the slasher template, it's following, you know, its own mindset. Even though, yeah, it does still have, you know elements of the slasher film because it's always like you know they're barricading them from getting in you know if you kill them they're going to be you're going to become like them but because it was doing something different that was i i vaguely i really remember that being why i was still watching it as it was going on mm-hmm. yeah no i that resonates with me because like i i was a when i was a kid my parents sort of brought me up on like old black and white movies that I always go to like the public library and they got the universal monster movies on a regular basis. So I was all about, you know, Lugosi and Karloff and, um, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. and stuff like that and senior, I suppose. Um, and like, I, I remember loving these monster movies and being like, yeah, like they're obviously like spooky, scary creatures, but there's something like, fundamentally redeemable and maybe even human about them uh you know in my little kid brain and then you know i we're you know probably roughly around the same age like i i went to my friend's birthday party and saw scream uh and scream too because one of the yeah i was maybe no yeah i think it was no you watched scream um and I had no reference point for this movie at all. And I was like, I, I just assumed that like, you know, it was going to function much the same as all the black and white horror movies I had watched. Cause I hadn't watched like anything outside of that realm at that point. And I was like, well, you know, like maybe the, the killers somehow like redeemable and yeah, you know, obviously, I got to the end of the movie. I'm like, no, these guys are absolute bastards. Um, so it was like, okay, this is this is a very weird way for me to. You know, I had to basically rethink how I interacted with horror movies. I mean, I still loved Scream because you know, 
like everybody else who probably watched the movie, the phone rang in the house and everybody lost their mind. Um, you know, and so it was a nice little immersive aspect. But um, yeah, it was. De- I can definitely appreciate what you're talking about. Um, my number two. Uh, so this one is uh, one that I recently watched, courtesy of uh, again a friend of mine, uh, uh, Gordon Trenbeth, who I work with at the University of Guelph in the philosophy department. He's also somebody who works on uh, film and animals, and he's got some really interesting stuff he's writing about uh, animals and horror film. Um, but he turned me on to this film, which I'm going to be talking about next month at the University of Guelph, and maybe it'll be recorded and distributed online. If not, I'm sure people can look me up and I'll give them a copy of the paper. But um, it's a film called Les Ribbonaux, uh, which is usually translated in English as They Returned, uh, from 2004. So it's a uh, French movie. And the premise is that um, one day the people of France wake up and discover that everyone who has died for, I believe, the last decade has mysteriously returned to life. And they're not zombies like we normally think about zombies. You know, they're not covered in sores or missing body parts. They're not shambling around looking to eat flesh or brains or any other sorts of stuff. They're just fully as they were before they died. Um, they just seem a little bit, uh, you know, like they might be suffering from amnesia because they don't remember how they died or that they even died. They're sort of confused. But nonetheless, you, you know, it's already sort of leaning into, you know, zombie film in the marketing images that they have and then also the film at the beginning because you have these people walking sort of sluggishly slowly out of the graveyard and people in France are sort of confused about how they're going to deal with this because on one hand, you know, you have, you know, public health authorities who are wondering, you know, what, what's going on. They want to sort of quarantine them at first and, you know, get a sense of what's, you know, what's precipitated this. And then there's the practical elements, you know, there's, a lot of people who are elderly, do they still have family that you know might come pick them up? Uh, some of them are children. You know, they need to get in contact with their parents. Some of them used to work jobs, and obviously, you know, you want to. <laughs> I guess, by the logic of the people in the film, you want to try to reintegrate these people into society. So we might want to find them jobs that fit their aptitudes. And are they even capable of doing the jobs they used to do? So all these things are sort of explored. And, you know, you have you know, medical experts and psychologists sort of scrutinizing whether or not the people are indeed capable of forming thoughts or, you know, remembering things, what's going on in their brains. Um, you have people who are worried about security because... There's an interesting phenomenon that they learn that these people who come back from the dead don't sleep. So they wander off in the night and congregate in abandoned places and talk to each other, which 
starts to draw suspicion from the population. So they begin to, and this is certainly, I guess, timely, um, they follow them around with uh, weather balloons with cameras attached to them to spy on them. And, um, yeah, I won't give away too much more beyond that, but it's, it's a fascinating film because I've read some, you know, uh, responses to it where some scholars talk about um, the way that they, uh, the film explores, um, I guess, disability and, yeah, you know, some researchers have talked about um, the uh, engagement with, you know, people who have PTSD coming back from combat. How do we reintegrate people into society, and what sort of problems um, exist conceptually for you know, people uh, if things don't go as they would like them to go? Um, other people have looked at it as like an allegory for the migrant crisis in Europe. I'm sort of interested in, when I do the talk, uh, as fascinating as those are, um, I'm sort of interested in the idea of grief itself because it's a complicated film in the sense that, you know, you have a lot of people who are dealing with very raw, intense emotions. You have parents whose, you know, young kids are coming back from the dead and you have some parents who are like, yeah, this is great. We have an opportunity to be a family again. And other parents who are a little more ambivalent about that prospect. Or you have people who have lost partners, um, some of which are like, this is a second chance for me to be with the person I love. And some people are like, well, I just kind of gotten over this person and now they're back in my life and things are complicated again. So there's a lot going on in the movie and it's certainly not the well, yeah, it's not. The narrative isn't as well-structured as it probably could have been. I think they were trying to do a lot with it. But it's definitely a different film. And uh, I think it's you know, probably worth a watch. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with that film called uh, La Revenance. Um, I know uh, the Netflix film from a couple of years ago called Ravenous. Mm. Which uh, uses that title, so um, yeah, I, I would definitely want to uh, check this one out because it it sounds really interesting. Um, kind of reminds me of a film called um, I think it's called Cured, uh, which was kind of similar. And it, it I, I don't think it explored the topic uh, to the degree that you're describing, but it was definitely about uh, you know they've they found a cure and they're trying to um, apply it sort of. Um, and it, it goes on from there, but uh, I, yeah, that, 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 that sounds interesting. I'm definitely gonna have to look into it. Cause I mean, I'm always down for more of these, but uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard that version of the film, so I'm uh, gonna have to look into it. Yeah, it's it's worth a try. Um, yeah, if you're if you found the cured fascinating, um, this might be worth watching because it does sort of um, does sort of play on some of the similar themes that you're talking about. It's it's well worth looking at. All right, cool. So uh, number one, um, yeah, this one um, was really no. Uh, this was really no contest. Uh, this is 
Uh, for those that know me, uh, they know that this is my favorite film of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, number one. This is uh, not just uh, zombie films, but this is uh, horror in general. Uh, this is my, you know, number one horror film. It is uh, 1979's Zombie or Zombie 2, Lucille Fulci. Yeah. yeah um, uh, this is, uh, like I said, my number one favorite film of all time. Um, it, I, I could stay here and I can talk about this film for hours. Um, I, 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 I can literally say that this is for me, at least a perfect movie. Um, I would probably not change anything. Uh, it, it just works for me on every level. So, um, I, I, I could literally stay here and talk about this one all day, but I, I, I feel like there's better things to do, but, um, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, number one for me is uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie. I I think that's a fantastic choice. Um, yeah, Fulci. The Italians really know how to do horror cinema. That's yeah. That's it's it's hard to hard to deny that fact. Um, yeah, so. Number one for me. I had to think long and hard about this, and you know, I thought it's hard to top a lot of movies on the list, but in the end, I just had to bite the bullet and say, "Look, the best zombie movie I can think of is Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies from 2012." No, I'm I'm kidding. That's a terrible choice. Um, it's Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Um. You know, I'm also not really going to be able to say much that hasn't already been said about the film. But I will yeah, I guess one thing that really always stuck out for me was I really, really loved um, the, the tense interaction between the characters inside the house. Like, you, you could really get a good sense from that film. Um, because, I mean, we certainly... It's a, you'd have to be living under a rock to not know about the, the context and the social commentary of the film. Um, one thing that's just really great about it is it gets that aspect of um, the movie is really, really well done. Like The tension existing between everyone who's in that house is just so palpable. That I just remember... For me, like if, if there's one sort of image that sticks out to me, it's just like the way people look at each other in that house. And the sort of body language between everyone who's, you know, basically, you know you have to work together, but you don't really want to. You know, you're not really keen on the idea of being in the house together, but um, yeah, it's such a good movie. Um but yeah, Fulci is definitely going to get a, a honorary mention for me. Um, other than that, I, I don't have much to say about my Living Dead that hasn't already been cracked. Um, I mean, kind of uh, you know obvious choices there, but um, I you know what can we say? They're they're all time classics for a reason. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, I guess that will uh, wrap us up. So uh, if we have any other honorable mentions left or uh, something, just, you know, say, hey, check this one out or something to that nature. 
Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess they're honorable mention. So again, I don't know how much of a zombie movie it was because I mean it, it blurs the boundary between zombies and vampires. But um, I'm thinking of that classic uh, Vincent Price film that everybody should probably watch at some point. Um, and for some reason, my brain is... Last already... Man on Earth. Yeah, Last Man on Earth. I thank you. My brain is completely mush at this point. Not good fare for zombies. Yeah, Last Man on Earth. I mean, I I don't mind Omega Man. It's probably not my go-to. And I Am Legend was not really my thing either. Um, you know, I'm... I'll defend Will Smith on other films, but I'm not necessarily going to go to bat for him on that one. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that film. And I mean, the Simpsons <laughs> riff on that's never a bad time either. Um, but yeah, that would be an honorable mention for me just because I always enjoy a little bit of a, a science fiction twist. And I like the, I like the blending of, you know, is it the zombie movie is the vampire movie? It's, what kind of monsters are we really dealing with here? I guess it's not entirely clear. So that would be my one other honorable mention. Nice. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, uh, we'll mention uh, the two obvious ones just because uh, neither of us brought them up. But, uh, you know, the original Dawn, uh, for me, I, yeah, the, you know, I, I, I prefer the ones that it's sandwiched in between, um, although that doesn't make this one uh, any less enjoyable and uh, definitely worthwhile. And uh, the other one that we didn't mention, um, I, I still really enjoy 28 Days Later. Uh, it, it has its yeah. issues, but uh, it's still pretty enjoyable. And um, the one that I, I, I do want to bring up and the one that I, I kind of want to highlight just because it's not really um, a, as well known is uh 2006's fido okay i yeah. i i i always have a fun time with that one i i i love the idea of what goes on there i love the world building i i i don't see a lot talking about it and it's kind of un you know it's kind of under the radar but yeah it's still really um really enjoyable and i i definitely do think that there's got to be more that talk about it so yeah um i you know definitely um worthwhile so uh yeah, that's a weird rewatch for me because unfortunately i uh i was too much of an altered state of consciousness to really appreciate what was going on in that movie when i watched it at the time so i'd like to come at it with a more sober clear head <laughs> Because I think it could be a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I love the idea of what goes on in there. It's kind of a, like I said, uh, one that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. But yeah, I, I definitely enjoy. Um, I, I've always actually uh, kind of uh, championed, uh, you know, an expansion of that one. And uh, talking about the, yeah, uh, you know, the you know, seeing more sequels or, uh, you know, entries in the franchise and just sort of taking that uh, idea further. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, uh, like I said, I, I've always uh, kind of uh, championed that one. So, yeah, uh, I guess this was uh, 
get this the end. Uh, this was uh, just as much fun as I thought. So thank you uh, so much for joining us. Yeah, I had a blast. I'm always thrilled. You know, I've done werewolves on podcasts. I've talked vampires on podcasts. It's about damn time I talked zombies. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, and, uh, actually kind of uh, pertinent because I've actually talked about both of those myself. So, uh, you know, finishing off the trifecta is, uh, you know, it's quite, you know, quite ideal. So, yeah, uh, let, uh, you know, everybody, uh, let everybody where they can uh, find you online. Right, yeah, you can certainly find me on Twitter. Um, I'm sure when the episode drops, uh, I'll be uh, tagged. Um, otherwise, I do uh, have, um, I, if you're interested, I guess, in my academic work, I've got an academia.edu page where you can find a list of, you know, some of the book chapters I've written about films like It Comes at Night or, um, you know, books like Chuck Palahniuk's uh, Lullaby. Uh, I've also got a forthcoming book on a uh, book chapter in Hammer Horror uh, film and uh, other pieces about, uh, you know, Val Luton films in the past. So you can probably find a bunch of that stuff on my academia.edu and... It'll be, you know, follow my Twitter, and usually I tend to post stuff that I have coming up. That's about it. Nice, yeah. Um, I will have that uh, linked down below in the show notes for you to uh, check out and follow. So, like I said, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time with a new topic. So, until then. Take care.